Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in John chapter 16. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bible, anybody? John chapter 16, verse 12, we are going through the book of John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I encourage all of you each week to read ahead and meditate on what the next week's uh, lesson is going to be on. John chapter 16, verse 12, this is Jesus speaking, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. In verse 15, he, he says the, virtually the exact same thing. So antennas go up when that happens. Same thing, verse 15. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of what, take of mine and, and declare it to you. Now skip down to verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We, th we thank you. We do thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, all the mothers in this room or the, the, the mothers who are um, associated with any church family member who is not in this room. Maybe they have gone to be with you, Lord, or they've passed away, and Father, we thank you. We thank you for them. And Lord, I just think of Malachi chapter 2, the family is an institution that you created and you love, and that you protect. Lord, we thank you for the family through whom so many blessings come. Lord, there's also, it's also a source of, of much pain for, for many in the room. And, and Lord, we pray for today, Lord, that as we, as we make our way through your words that were written down by you, were spoken by you 2,000 years ago for, for us, every man, woman, and child in this room, that we would get to that place of joy that cannot be taken away. We thank you for that promise, that there is a joy that cannot be taken away. Show us to that place, Lord. I pray this for our church and every church, Lord, that's declaring the word of God in, in the city. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. 
So here in John 16, it is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is sharing his last words to his disciples, his arrest only hours away. And in verse 12, he says this. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, the disciples had already heard some pretty painful things from Jesus, that he was leaving them, that all of them would forsake him. It's pretty painful to hear that. (laughs) You're going to be bolting. You're going to be forsaking the, the, the one that you love. They had heard that they would continue Jesus' work, but the world would hate them for it. However, when Jesus in verse 12, when he says here, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The idea here is it's not that they cannot bear more words from Jesus because the words are too painful for them to hear. In this particular verse, he's talking about volume. They're not going to, he has so much to share, a lot more to share, so much, they wouldn't be able to digest it. And how do we know that's the case? Because in first thir- verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will give you the rest of the story. He, he will guide you into all truth. Now, last week, we spent a whole lot of time on verse 7 of this same chapter. If you weren't here, you may want to listen to it online. And in verse 7, Jesus said uh, to his disciples, he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I will send, referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper to you. And we discuss, what are the advantages You can imagine that being a very strange statement uh, to the the disciples. I mean, how could it possibly be to our advantage that you're you're leaving? And so we explained what that meant. We explained what the advantages were. First and foremost, Jesus will no longer be just physically with them. He will be inside them. The Bible says Uh, last chapter of 2 Corinthians, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And, 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 And so remember Matthew 28, last words Jesus said before being taken up to heaven, I will be with you even to the end of the age. How is he able to do that? By the person of the Holy Spirit who Jesus is going to send in fact, this is important. One of the names of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the Holy Spirit has different names uh, in the Bible. And one of them is the Spirit of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, but you, speaking to you, here in this room are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Holy Spirit, which is given to every person the moment that they give their heart to Jesus, 
The Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, invades their life in a good way, takes possession of them, and never leaves them. Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Now, when Jesus was physically on earth, he was only able to be in one place at one time. And he obviously could not live inside of someone if he in a physical body. So at best, he could live by them. But after he resurrected and was taken up to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to all believers and no longer is it just with them. He is in them. So why is it to their advantage? Why else is it to their advantage that Jesus goes away? Because by going away and sending the helper, the Holy Spirit, um, it, it, it says that uh, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you share in the peace of Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 27. You share in the love of Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 9. You share in the joy of Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 10. And here in John chapter 16, verse 13, we read about another advantage of Jesus going away, verse 13, because when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Let's just read that first part of the verse. Please look at this verse really carefully because I'm going to spend some time on it now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, that you would go through the book of John and the Gospels and underline the word truth. Truth. He will lead you into all truth. So time for a question. Someone comes to you and asks you, someone who is not a Christian, they ask you, why are you a Christian? What would you say? Why are you a Christian? Don't shout it out. A lot of times I ask you to shout things out. This one, I want you to think about that. The Bible says be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have. Why are you a Christian? You so important that you know what the answer to that is. Well, think about it. What would you say? So let me tell you what so often when I ask this question why are you a Christian? Let, let me tell you what most often I hear. In fact, before the church began, we were in a Bible study at my house, and there was a fair amount of people there, probably about 20. These are the kind of answers that they gave. So often, uh, these are the answers. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus gives me incredible peace and joy. I don't know what I would do without him. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus loves me like no one else could ever love me. Why are you a Christian? Because my life was a mess and Jesus turned my life around. Why are you a Christian? Because God delivered me from drug addiction or alcohol addiction or working 80 hours a week and ignoring my family addiction. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus is always faithful and he never 
He's never let me down. Okay, pause. Two gigantic, enormous, massive problems with all those answers. Let me demonstrate. Problem number one, why are you a Christian? Because Jesus gives me incredible peace and joy. Well, what if the peace and joy goes? Do you stop being a Christian? If you're truly being honest with yourself, you should. If the reason you are a Christian is because it gives you peace and joy, you should stop being a Christian if the peace and joy leave, if you're being true to yourself. Why are you a Christian? Because, because Jesus loves me like no one else could ever love me. Well, what happens when that feeling of Jesus loving you stops? Do you stop being a Christian? Uh, why are you a Christian? Because my life was a mess and Jesus turned the whole thing around. Well, what if your life becomes a mess again? Why are you a Christian? Because God delivered me from drug addiction. Well, what if you go back into addiction? Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus is always faithful and he's never let me down. Well, what if that one thing, what if that thing you really, really, really wanted from your life doesn't come through and you feel incredibly down? Do you leave him? Gigantic problem number one. If those things are the reason you're a Christian, you'll probably at one point stop being a Christian. I would say that is a big problem. Gigantic problem number two. Gigantic problem number two. Gigantic problem number one has to do with you. Gigantic problem number two has to do with that non-Christian who you're at, who's asking you the question. Why are you a Christian? Well, because Jesus loves me like no one else could ever love me. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad that works for you. Oh, no, but really, it, it can work for you too. No, that's cool. I'm all set. I got a lot of love from a lot of people. Why are you a Christian? Because my life was a mess and Jesus turned the whole thing around. Oh, cool. My life isn't a mess. Maybe I'll think about Jesus if I ever get into a mess. Why are you a Christian? Because God delivered me from alcohol addiction. Oh man, that's great. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous worked for me. Glad Jesus worked for you. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus is always faithful. He's never let me down. You know, it's the same thing with Buddha. He's never let me down. Gigantic problem number two, if those things are really the reasons you're a Christian, it, 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 you're not sharing something that's significant. With, with the non-Christian because there are a lot of things out there that may work for other people. At least they think they work. So brother, sister, there's only one reason why anyone should ever be a Christian. Because it's true. Period. There's only one right answer to this particular question. There's only one reason why any of you should be a Christian, and it's because it's true. If it's not true, get out of here. Leave. I should leave. We all should leave if it's not true. If it's true, we better pay really serious attention. 
It's only one reason why anyone should ever be a Christian, because it's true. It's true that there's a God. It's true he made heaven and earth. It's true that he made man and woman to be in perfect relationship with him. It's true that they rejected him as God of their lives and made themselves God of their own lives. It's true that God's punishment for that rejection is everlasting suffering and separation from him. It's true that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes in him should not have everlasting separation but everlasting life. It is true that his son lived for 33 years on planet Earth, died on the cross for the sins of the world, resurrected after three days, was seen in his resurrected body by hundreds of people, and then ascended into heaven. All true. And if you are a Christian, because it's true, because it is truth, you are not going to stop being a Christian. How could you if it's true? And, and, and I love what we saw at the end of John chapter 6, many of Jesus' disciples, men and women who called themselves disciples, they left and followed him no more. Why? Because they were not getting what they wanted. But Jesus turned to the apostles and said, are you going to leave me too? What did the apostle Peter say? One of the most glorious statements in the whole Bible. Where would we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the truth. So again, John chapter 16, verse 7, why was it to their advantage? Why is it to our advantage that Jesus Christ left? Because he needed to die, resurrect, and return to heaven so that he can send the Holy Spirit who, in addition to everything else, leads us into all truth. Talk about an advantage. Listen, human beings, they were created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. Man was created in the image of God to know God and to know all Truth, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The truth of why we are on planet Earth, the truth of what our purpose is, the truth of who God is, who we are, and how we can have a relationship with God. Listen, man cannot live in peace or with joy not knowing truth. You go out and you do a study of what happens to philosophers who believe and teach that truth is unknowable. Just do that study. It's not a happy study. Human beings were made to know truth. I've used this example before, but many of you saw The Passion of Christ. I love the movie. Uh, I, I did, and, and it's a, just a wonderful movie, and there's this great scene where Jesus has been arrested, and he's being tried by the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate is, is, is a pent-up, nervous wreck. I mean, he's trying to, you know, uh, fake it until you make it. As he, you know, it's all like sort of pent up in him. Uh, but he, he's trying to keep it all together. But it's obvious that life is too much for him. Why? Well, one of the reasons is that the Jews were rebellious people and they were not easy to manage. But the other reason was truth. Now, in just a couple chapters, 
uh, we see this account with Jesus speaking to the Roman governor, this judge, he was a judge, as well as other things. And this Roman governor, Pilate's asking Jesus questions, more or less one question he really wanted to know, who are you? I mean, there's a lot of people making a lot of fuss around. Who are you? Are you a king? What, what are you? Who are you? What was Jesus' response? He said, yes, I'm a king. And then he said this, for this cause, John 18, 37, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then what was Pilate's response? Sean, can we have that? I don't know that it's in red. No, it's right before, it's right after. His response, it was, what is the truth? What is truth? What, what is truth? He was a nervous wreck. A human being will, will break down mentally, psychologically, if they truly try to live hanging on to the idea that there's no such thing as truth. Now, since most people just cannot live that way, what many try to do is to latch on uh, to some kind of relative, uh, relativism. What's relativism? Well, it's just this. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. What's true for you is not necessarily true for everybody else. But listen, brothers and sisters, this is so important. Please take this charge from me. Please, please, please do not let anyone move you from the place of being persuaded that when it comes to God, life, and the world, there is such thing as truth, absolute truth, one way, a narrow way. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. That statement makes absolutely no sense. No one would ever get, get away with that statement in any other discipline. Try that statement with your chemistry professor, your, your physics professor, your algebra teacher. See how they respond. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. Okay. Oh, really? Well, I'm still going to give you an F. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, it, there was a really narrow set of answers that I wanted and you didn't give them. Oh, you're being so narrow. <laughs> Foolishness. Why would a God of love ever leave men, women, and children in the dark about the truth of who he is, leaving it up to their best guess to figure out who he was? When, when men do that on planet Earth, bringing kids into the world and take off, leaving it up to the kids' best guess who they are, they are called cruel and rightfully so. No, God is a God of love. He sent his son into the world to show the world in the flesh exactly who he was. Um, I love this verse from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one, verses two of three. God in these last days spoke to us by his son who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person upholds all things by the word of his power. That's who Jesus is. Someone, asks, someone will ask you, though, well, uh, why then are there so many different religions, so many different versions, interpretations of what truth is? Why is that? 
That's a good question. Actually, we're going, we had our first evangelism training last night. And it's, it's disruptive, and it's hard, and it kind of freaks you out when you first start this training, and, and someone says, well, you know, I think this about Jesus. Why is it? Why is it that there's so many different religions, so many different versions of what truth is? Well, I believe that the best answer to that, if someone asks you that, I think the best response is this. Have you read the Bible carefully? Because if you start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and make your way through carefully, I think you will find the answer. Man was created in the image of God to be in a perfect relationship with God. But he rejected God and became his own God. And very soon, man and man's ideas about God, his ideas about what truth are, began to spin out of control. But in the Bible, you'll see that God's always been faithful to bring man back to the truth. Do not let anybody move you from the place of being persuaded, utterly persuaded, that when it comes to God, life, and the world, there is such thing as absolute truth. So back to John 16, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 13, however, when he, the Holy, the, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. Probably reference to the book of Revelation there. He will, verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Then says the same thing, all things that the Father has said are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He, he's speaking, Calvary Chapel in the city, to, to you. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will take of what is mine and, and he'll give it, he'll show it. To you. And then he says in verse 22, skip down to verse 22, therefore, you now have sorrow. Because some of the things that I have said, but I, I, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will be able to take from you. So verses 14 and 15, again, he says twice, he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me and he will do it by taking of what is mine and giving it to you. For taking of what is mine. He's talking about truth there. He, he's talking about the truth about Jesus, about God, life, the world, and Jesus. He's going to take from, from what is... Uh, uh, He's going to take from what is Jesus and he's going to show it to you. Now, part of what, a lot of what he's speaking about in those two verses is about parts of the Bible that were not written yet. We're not spoken yet. 
Acts, Romans, 1 Peter, 1 John, Revelation. But listen up. Don't miss what he's saying here in verse 15. He's saying the exact same thing twice here. He takes of what is his and he gives it to you. He says, I have many things to say to you, verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. Listen, when you're a brand new believer, there's only so much you can take. But God puts a thirst in the heart by the Holy Spirit in the heart and soul of every human being to get to know him more and more and more. And here's this promise. This is a promise. The Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and he'll declare it to you. He will declare it to you. Jesus' life was all about giving you the truth about who God is because we, again, man sinned, truth, ideas about truth spun out of control, then we have all kinds of crazy ideas about God. Jesus, about truth and God, Jesus came and he gave truth about himself. And, and the result was what? Verse 22, joy. <laughs> joy. When, when we saw in John chapter 11 with Mary, her brother Lazarus had died. And she and other people were, were, were weeping. What did Jesus do? He wept. He wept into her pain. He was taking of what himself and giving it to her. You're kidding me. You mean God weeps about my pain? And then what happened? Joy was able to come into her heart before her brother had even been resurrected. In John chapter 13, you have the God, the maker of the universe. Sean, can we have um, Hebrews again, chapter 11? We have the one of whom it was said uh, he was the brightness, the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. In John chapter 13, he's getting down. He takes off all his clothes, except his, basically a loincloth, and he washes the feet, the dirty, ugly, grimy, smelly feet of his disciples. He's taking from what is own and he's showing it to them. This is truth. God of the universe, he's not up there reluctantly allowing you to, uh, to, to exist in his backyard. He loves you and he, he wants to wash your feet. You mean the God of the universe wants to wash my feet? You're kidding me. The result, a joy that you cannot take away. John chapter 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. What? Again, Jesus is taking of what is it, as his and he's showing it to them. You're kidding me. God chose me with all my failure, with all my pride, with all my... He, he chose me. What's the result? A joy that cannot be taken away. I'd like to just uh, ask the worship team uh, to come up at this time and...
And uh, Dan, if we could, I'd like a little extra time of worship. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. And I'd like to really just focusing on worshiping the Lord from that place of joy. that we receive when we know that we know that we know he's true. I know the truth. I know the truth about the living God. He weeps into my pain. He watches my feed. He chose me. It's like to worship at this time. And also like just this to, to be a, a time of prayer. If, uh, if, you, if you'd like to pray for a mother who's not present, come up and pray. I'll be up here. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. If you've had a miscarriage, if you've had an abortion, and you'd like to, to, to pray, to pray through that. I'd like to... Um, I'd like to I'd like to pray about it now. I'd like to worship. I'd like to close out this Mother's Day service just worshiping the Lord and praying. So if you could rise for the closing worship song. Let me close out in prayer and then let's worship. And by all means, come up and pray. If you've never come to the place in your life where you've never crossed from death to life by faith, Jesus says that until a man or woman steps off the throne of their own heart where they've been making themselves God of their own life, making when rubber hits the road, they making all the decisions the way you want to make them. That's called being God of your life. (laughs) If you've never stepped off the throne of your heart where you've been God and let Jesus, the King, the way, the truth with a capital T, the life come into your heart, you do that simply by faith. And what you don't want to do is is try to start a relationship with God by trying to make up for all the bad stuff or whatever stuff that you've done. The Bible's called the good news because it's free. Isaiah, God says, come. Come and drink the wine that doesn't cost anything. (laughs) Come and eat the bread that doesn't cost anything. It's, It's free. Salvation is free. But Jesus says, until that time where you Accept, accept him as Lord, King, and Savior of your life. You, you, your life is death. You're, you're a walking dead man. You're a walking dead woman. But at the second, the, the, the moment in time where 
you put your faith in him and say, come in, Lord Jesus, and be my king, you pass from death to life. Incredible news. If you've never done that, please come up. Let's pray through that. It's a simple prayer of faith. Most everyone in this room who, is a, who has done that did so in a public way, in one way or another. But let's, I'm going to close in prayer and, and we'll finish off in worship and prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that we don't have to drift through life wondering what our purpose is, wondering why we're here, wondering who you are. You have taken of what is yours. You're the true living God and you've shown it to us. And we rejoice in that. And Lord, we We have a thirst for that just to continue in our lives, to know you more and more and more. I pray in Jesus' name. For everybody in this room, just for the grace to lay hold of this promise that by the Spirit of God you will lead them into all truth. I pray that for myself, for my family, for my mother, for all the mothers represented here, either in this room or, or not here today, Lord. Pray for that. Lord, now we just continue to worship you. In Jesus' name.